Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 28, verses 6 through 9. Listen for the word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleadings. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. So I am helped, and my heart exults with my song. I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Through the next several weeks, we are reading through in our worship services uh, texts that are appointed to be read in the wider church from what is called the lectionary. The lectionary passage for today comes from Luke, the 15th chapter. It is a parable that Jesus tells, familiar to many of us, but I invite you to hear it again. I'm actually going to read through verse 7, not verse 10. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. There is a lot of things to consider when one writes a title for a sermon. Uh, first, the issue is whether you actually care. But I'll uh, set that one aside for now. Another is the time that it sometimes takes between when a title for a sermon is selected and when the sermon is written. Is written. I know that sometimes my thinking changes, and by the time the sermon rolls around, the title has nothing to do with what I said, asking the question again, should you really care? Another question is whether a title should be cute or clear. I had a professor who used to think of the sign outside of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City as his benchmark. Sunday's sermon title would be posted so that passers-by could see the upcoming sermon. Now, the sermon had to intrigue folks so well, he'd say, that they would change their Sunday morning plans to come to church just to find out what the preacher had in mind. 
That happens, I'm sure, every time you open up your Wednesday e-blast, doesn't it? The goal is to give a play on words or an unanswered question or a teaser. Maybe this week's sermon could have been 99 to 1, who wins? Or leave the rest behind. Or who's the sheep now? But in recent years, the trend has been more prosaic, more about the takeaway, like five steps to good shepherding. I'll admit that I kind of like the cuter ones a little better, but I went with prosaic this week, enabling versus welcoming in Christian life. I knew what I meant, but when the worship team met this week and took a look, a discussion ensued. What do you mean by verses, Wes? Why are you opposing two good things? I guess I wasn't as direct as I thought. The question hung on the word enabling. Did I mean enabling as positive helping, as how pastors are taught that our job as congregational leaders is not to do, but to enable others to do? Not to be the disciples for the congregation, but to help members in their discipleship. To enable is to empower, to equip, to midwife. But as many of you know, there is another conversation among folks who work with addicted persons or dysfunctional families or unhealthy systems for whom the idea of enabling means something different. An example would be uh, when one child of a family gets all of the attention because they act out in negative ways and the attention of the parents enables the unhealthy behavior to everyone else's detriment. Or the partner of an addicted person whose forgiving spirit makes it harder, not easier, for the addiction to be addressed. And so we talk of tough love when the best response to someone in need might not be giving them what they ask for, but giving them what they need. We don't want to be enablers, after all. Now, that was what I had in mind when I was thinking of this sermon this week, reading that story that Jesus tells of a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep behind to take care of just one. If taken literally, are we supposed to risk enabling the dysfunction of one and lose the 99? Aren't there healthier ways? Might it not be healthier, a healthier response to someone who's lost? Not to chase them down, but to simply remain open, to desire restoration, to keep the door open and move on. That leaving the 99 behind to get the one stuff feels awfully risky for the 99. So I was amused by staff response to my title because in a beautiful way they brought out exactly the paradox that I found myself pondering as I read this story again. 
When is tending to one instead of 99 enabling? And when is it enabling? When does how we hear stories like this teach us the wrong lesson? And when does how we hear stories like this wake us up to the fact that the world around us is teaching us the wrong lesson? How do we hear the gospel in ways the Spirit wants us to? There are no easy answers there. So let's take a look. We start with the experts of the day who are upset with Jesus. He seems to be developing a reputation for breaking the rules, for cavorting with the wrong kind of folk, and tending to the weak at expense to the strong. He is receiving tax collectors and sinners at his table. I guess you would say that he's hanging with the wrong crowd. The Pharisees might have been thinking that if Jesus really wanted to help and not just enable bad behavior, there were better ways. There were agencies for this kind of thing, for God's sake. Like almsgiving at the temple, vetted giving, appropriately distanced and safe. Assist, but don't befriend. That's the best way, at least that's what the Pharisees might have been thinking. But as you heard, Jesus did not stay safe. Jesus befriended. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, it looked like Jesus actually approved of those people that he spent time with, for God's sake. By doing all of that, he opened himself and his movement to criticism. But Jesus did not take the bait of the Pharisees grumbling. He did not answer them directly. Instead, like he so often does, he asks them to think differently. And he does it in the way that he so often does, by telling stories. You heard one about shepherds, sheep, and a village. Now, I do use some of the work of New Testament scholar Kenneth Bailey to help me read that story. Jesus starts it. Which of you having a hundred sheep? First thing to see here is that Jesus is not saying that he is the shepherd. He is actually identifying his critics with the shepherd. And that matters. They are not just observers. He is including them in the mission. This isn't about me, he is saying, this is about you. Which one of you having a hundred sheep? Now, we're also used to positive uses or positive images of shepherds in Scripture. God is, in fact, compared to a shepherd. But when Jesus told this story, shepherding 
was actually a forbidden profession for people who followed the law. It was considered dirty, low-status work. Shepherds were a bit like day laborers today. And while you might tend a few sheep of your own, if you have them, if you had a hundred sheep, or if you joined with your friends and family members and put together a combined flock of a hundred sheep, you would not tend to them on your own. You will hire shepherds. And then you will watch pretty closely to make sure that they don't steal from you. And so, having does not mean owning. It means here having responsibility for, being charged with, caring for. Jesus' critics would rather think of themselves as the owners and Jesus, perhaps, as the hired help. But Jesus flips it upside down. He asked them to imagine themselves as shepherds caring for someone else's flock. Which one of you, charged as you are with the care of the people, the people you do not own, the people who belong to God, would not care for all? But let's get something else straight here too. One hundred sheep would not be tended to by just one shepherd. There would be more like two, probably three. And the story goes out as if to say that, or the story goes on continually to say, forgive me, that there are one hundred sheep here. So while one shepherd goes off to find the one that is lost, the 99 are not abandoned. We are not ignoring the good kids because one is acting out. We're not abandoning anyone. One shepherd has courage, commitment, and compassion to go out and find the one that is lost. And the other shepherds continue caring for the 99 tending, feeding, returning them as well from the wilderness to the safety of the village at night. Love of the lost is part of the whole work of shepherding to which we are all called for all people. Okay so far? He is including us in his, mission, in his mission. He is also involving us in the work. A sheep separated from the flock tends to get frozen in place, scared, refusing to get up from the ground. The shepherd has to wait until the sheep itself lets it be picked up, placed on the shepherd's shoulders, and carried back. It's not easy. And it's not just physically hard, it's also dangerous. As the shepherd carrying the sheep on its shoulders is not able to fend off any 
wild animals or other threats, especially at night. Yet Jesus says that despite the challenge of it all, the shepherd is happy for the chance, ready for the burden of restoration. Restoring human community is hard work. It involves bearing the burden of others without enabling what is broken, but enabling healing. It involves waiting, going slow, and finding joy along the way, even before the work is done. And it is the joy not the accomplishment that empowers the work. And so Jesus is including us in the mission, and Jesus is involving us in the work, and Jesus is inspiring us to take heart. You might have noticed that I've moved from talking about the Pharisees to talking about us. I did that on purpose. We too, we too, often take these little stories that Jesus tells and put them on a shelf by themselves. We try to make them into little morality tales or life lessons and separate them from the bigger picture that Jesus wants his hearers, even us, to see. We forget that Jesus usually tells these stories in the middle of conflict and sometimes uses them more to get a reaction than make an argument. And we can join the hearers and let these stories upset our expectations. We can let them reorder our assumptions. We can let them open our eyes to the possibility that God's vision might be bigger than ours. Which takes me to the inspiring heart of this parable. Now stay with me here, because we often miss this. Whether as individuals or as a church, it's true that we ought to think about how we care well and not get caught up in ways that, of caring that don't really help. And as we think about it, we also always ought to tilt toward mercy and compassion as we do. But we ought to also remember the even higher calling that this parable gives us. For this parable wants us to set the whole thing, the whole shape of how we live with each other, with all of our needs, into joy, into joy, into joy. It is the joy that he wants us to see. Joy is talked about three times in this parable, more than anything else. Joy is at the heart of it. Relief, energy, gratitude. It is as if Jesus is saying to his critics, lighten up, enjoy people, love people. Be God's joyful agents of reconciliation and community and figure things out from there. There's joy, relief, energy, gratitude when the stray sheep is found. 
We accept the burden of restoring what's broken and are thrilled when the sheep is willing to let us put it on our shoulders because we know it might not. We're happy when it does. And yet in the story, there is also joy, relief, energy, and gratitude when the shepherd carrying the one lost sheep gets home to the village. He ignores his social standing And he invites friends and neighbors and all who would have a stake in the herd or the flock. He invites them all together for rejoicing. Owners and shepherds, high level and low level, receivers and givers, all are together without distinction. And all are celebrating the fact that all are happy and are safe. It's the kind of feasting and celebration that we are invited to host as followers of Jesus. All 100 chairs set, waiting and working for the time when they will all be filled, no matter how long it takes. And so the third joy of this story, the one in heaven, when all chairs will be filled and all walls broken down and all creation will be together and all of us, everyone, having been born to the welcome on the shoulders of Jesus. That's what he wants us to see and where he wants us to start. But I got to tell you, I got to take a minute because I just can't finish this sermon without sharing a little joy myself that's not connected to this parable at all but seems to help make the point. I got to ask you if you've seen the video this week that's making the round on Twitter and YouTube about the lost chimp. Ah, I heard a yes. After seeing it myself, I wondered if I should have titled this sermon, The Chimp and the Raincoat. The video was taken on someone's iPhone. It's of an anxious moment and a delightful ending. It seems that sometime in the last few days, a chimpanzee named Chichi managed to escape from a zoo in Kharkiv, Ukraine, where she'd been evacuated from an echo park on the front lines of the war. Chi-Chi escapes and heads out alone to wander the streets of Kharkiv, totally AWOL, disobedient, and eluding the zookeeper's reach for several hours. Folks kept their distance as she walked around, quite lost. We finally see a zookeeper trying to get Chi-Chi's attention. Eventually, Chi-Chi just sits down, totally uninterested in going home. The zookeeper comes gently and sits down next to her, right there on the pavement. No net, no stun gun, no protection, just sitting with the chimp and gaining trust and inviting it home. And Chi-Chi wanders away again. (laughs) Until it starts to rain. While it's raining, the keeper holds up a raincoat 
and Chi-Chi comes over to her and lets her put the raincoat on her to protect her from the rain. And then wearing her keeper's yellow raincoat, the chimp turns and hugs her keeper, or should I say her shepherd, with a sweet hug of reunion. I don't know how long this took in real time, but the next cut you see in the video is of three zookeepers rolling Chi-Chi down the street while Chi-Chi sits on top of a bicycle, heading home. There is a lilt in their steps. I think there are some smiles. Leave aside for a minute, if you would, whatever your feelings are about zoos. It is a tender image. Go look for it on YouTube. It's an amazing little show doing a bit of what Jesus is doing in this story that he told the Pharisees. It's a parable about how God's love works and how love feels. Including, involving, inspiring, enabling in the best way, ennobling, enfolding, receiving, Start with love, the joy will come. Amen.